It's August 22nd, 2017, and this is Inside Out, The Naked Truth. Coming to you from the Santa Cruz Mountains, from Lupin Lodge, where clothing is optional. But the truth is always naked. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Errol Strider. And I'm Rochelle Alicia Strider. And once again, we welcome you to our home at Lupin Lodge. We invited you over tonight for some real conversation about the human condition with all its eccentricities and what to make of it, sprinkled with laughter, <laughs> good music, and the many voices of Errol Strider. Oh, sure it is the voices of Errol Strider we're going to hear tonight. Oh, yes, jolly good, I'd say, to have these voices. Some of them are rather interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is, yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting voice kind of night here for sure, guys. Thank you, guys. That was good. <laughs> Our show is sponsored by Go Raw Natural Food. Healthy, nutritious, and delicious. Hard to beat that combination. And Go Raw is an extension uh, or an expression of business that's not wants to do good business, but really wants to create something that's good for you. And it can be found at Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and the organic section of Costco. To find out where you can find Go Raw, go to goraw.com. And you will discover exactly where to get it in your neighborhood. Or consult our post-eating go-raw tummies, <laughs> as in gastrointestinal system. Speaking of that. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't, but that's okay. We weren't, but it's gonna, I can tell it's going to be one of those strange nights. Because, well, the featured phrase for this week is, there's a lesson in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. You could probably say that about most anything. But our ability to find and appreciate the lessons, let alone apply them, well, it can vary quite a lot. And if something really bothers you and you're impatient for the lesson, you can always look for a punchline. <laughs> Especially if you're punchy. Yeah, like that bad punchline. That was a bad punchline. I'll work on that punchline and get back with you with the brand Please. new punchline. Okay, finding the lessons in life circumstances are what lead to wisdom and some important truths about life can only be discovered by going through hardship, it seems. Mm, I like that part. Being aware of what the lessons are also lead to growth, which I sort of define, increasing capacity to make the best out of our lives and to face more and more diverse and challenging situations with poise, awareness, creativity, and a sense of humor. I like the sense of humor. <laughs> and it's, I'm fond of saying, if all else fails, take it personally. So here we are. We're going to see if we can spice up the learning process in life as we do and uh, discover what lesson there is in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lesson in that. And what have we signed up for in this course called life? Are we here to expand our minds? grow our souls, create healthy bodies, manage good relationships, learn how to navigate economic waters, etc. Whatever it is, there's a lesson in that. And that, and that, every situation is our teacher. In every experience, we can see what we need and learn what works and doesn't. Even death teaches us to let go whether we want to or not. And then, what lies out there? What lessons are there waiting for us beyond this mortal existence? Well, we shall have to wait and see, or not. There's a lesson in that. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're right, spot on. I love saying spot on. 
Oh, that's good. Spot on there, darling. Spot on. <laughs> Love that. Um, about that. Today, I was rereading a, a book that uh, I've, I've I've had for found it 25 years ago, I think. Fell off the shelf. One of those books that leapt off the shelf. You know, it's like it says, "You are to be mine, and I am yours." Mm-hmm. At City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco. And this book, and it wasn't the title that got me. Not an interesting title: Religion and the Modern Mind. <laughs> oh, well. I, I'm about sneeze. I'm snoozing. <laughs> but it turns out to be an extraordinary um, book that really affected my thinking. And it was written by W. T. Stace. And basically. To give you the quick overview, he takes a look at the worldview on how it changed from medieval times with the authoritarian God and church and all that and and everything about that into the modern times and how it affected uh, uh, the science and how it affected our sense of morality. Like if there's no like ultimate source and everything is relative, well, then there's no uh, objective reality. And so there's no moral compass and that's as far as I've gotten in, in it, even, I hadn't read it in 30 years. But it's fascinating to me to raise What the, brought it up? I mean, what made you bring that up if you don't know what you're, it's about? Because it's about, I know there's a lesson in there, and I'm determined <laughs> to find it. And the rest of you are just going to have to be patient. You know, last week we had all these technical difficulties, and we were going to do this show last week. And we couldn't do it. There was no... Uh, physical, um, what do you call it, auditory snow in our broadcasting, and so we had to let go of it. And the interesting thing is we talked about, well, what are the lessons we learned, one, from not doing the show, and two, throughout the week, we would pay attention to what, what happened to us and what we learned from it. And yesterday was the eclipse. I mean, I'm sure everybody knows that. There's probably no one that doesn't know that. Anyway... I wanted to see it, and then I thought, well, you know, I can't go see the full eclipse, and but I don't know, well, it's, what's the big deal? I've seen pictures of it, and blah, blah, blah. And I just let go of it, because I I knew it, I couldn't see it. I did, felt I couldn't see it, so I was going to let go of it. And I left um, Lupin, and I went on the highway, and alongside the highway, and all on the frontage road, there were hundreds of people wearing those dark glasses that you look up at the sun with so you don't burn your retinas. And I thought, wow, already I felt I was part of something that I hadn't been part of when I was just home. And I was driving along, and everywhere I was going, there were people looking up at the sun. And and then I was starting to feel, like, left out because I didn't have glasses, I didn't know anything, and I wasn't going to see anything that everybody else was seeing. And... I got to the bank where I was going, and I asked them if they had seen the the eclipse. And they said they did. They had glasses, and they ran out at the time when the eclipse was happening. And I said, oh, that's nice. I was happy for them, but not too happy for me. But I let go of it. I just let go of it, and I thought, okay, so this is something I just did not see, and I didn't participate in it. And with that, the teller said, I have glasses. Go run out. You will see something. So I ran outside, I put the glasses on, I looked up at the sun, and there was this black ball, that was the moon, just coming out of the eclipse of the sun. So there was about maybe a quarter of it still left. And I was awestruck. I actually saw it. And it was more marvelous than I thought it was going to be. And I learned that, I mean, I let go of the whole experience. And then I had it, and that was special.
Asher, there is a lesson. And there's more to that song, and I encourage you to go to YouTube and listen to it, watch it, and watch out. Um, <laughs> I have to be a little naked uh, now, really get down to the naked truth part of our show. Yeah, it was one of those weeks where I got to face my demons. I was sitting quietly at my desk, having just posted a wanted ad for someone to come in and play me for a while. Uh, I wasn't happy with the self that was um, surrounding and permeating me. And then I remembered, you get tired. And when you get tired, your mind goes caca. So don't pay any attention to it. It's nothing personal, dear. I told myself, it'd be all right. Take a deep breath and get naked. <laughs> what you can do at Lupin. <laughs> That was really sweet. I didn't know that happened to you. Um, thank yeah. you for... Uh, and when I go into that state, it's like my ego has just been kind of like a lapdog at the, at the door, which is <laughs> you cannot enter and take over my mind door, mm-hmm. right? That's for me. And it hangs out there, though, because it knows that door's coming down. It knows. And, oh, he's getting tired? Oh, man, that door is coming down. We're going to take over his mind. And it did. Wow. All these separating thoughts. But, so here's the good news. And we have good news. It's possible to not be a victim of all that Michigas. Rabbi, please explain to us Michigas. Well, Michigas is all the crazy stuff. We talk about this. Most people got happening in their heads and the capitalists. Michigas most of the time, and sometimes the passion pulls the consciousness and they'll focus on one thing, but if you leave them to their own minds, all of that over the place. And that's why it's so important, it's part of the practice of becoming conscious, is to get still. And I'll give you a hint, it doesn't matter if it's only one second. One second, because a second adds up, and before you know it, one second is one second squared. (laughs) (laughs) And then it keeps going. So in the stillness, you begin to realize you are not the person that is experiencing, experiencing himself as the victim. Okay, so 
next time it happens, remember, there's a lesson to be learned in that. Yes, it Thank is. Thank you, Rabbi. That was good. And you got that. Mishikas means all the crazy stuff. And we do have crazy stuff in our, our brains a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. You know, I remember telling our guys, our sons, when they graduated uh, higher education, I said, now school begins. You know, because the lessons of life are far more um, lasting than learning sociology or something. I mean, would you probably, if you were going to be a sociologist, would be very helpful. And, and you probably would remember them most of your life. But if you're not, you put those in a back burner. Mm-hmm. But when you burn your hand on that back burner, you learn very quickly not to put your hand on the back burner yeah. again. And it leads to burnout. <laughs> there's burn up. Which if you leave your hand on the back burner, hot, and there's burnout. And that's when you're just chugging away and chugging away and chugging away. And like Sisyphus, wasn't that the guy went up the mountain and and just as he got there, come back down. (laughs) (laughs) And he's still doing it, according to legend. I saw a video uh, this morning of our granddaughter walking on a a very tight little... um, what do you call it? Like a balance bar, let's say. And she got to a certain point and she put her foot down and I could feel her whole body going into tentativeness and she fell off. <laughs> she choked. That's what they she, call choking. She choked, you know. It was like, I don't know where it came from, my son or her, but she choked and she fell. She didn't cry or anything. She probably got up and, and went right back on the board. But that part of the movie was missing. I had an interesting choking moment. When uh, I was in the theater, I was doing Camelot, and uh, I was—I just was like a small part kind of guy. I didn't have a role, except I was the knight that died and was resurrected by none other than Lancelot. But that's another, <laughs> another story. But this character, this show, what happened to me in Lancelot? excuse me, in Camelot, was utterly fascinating. Okay. Are we going to hear it? You know, I am so working on that (laughs) thought. And I feel like I left. But you can't remember what it was. Well, I felt like I'll come back. But I felt like I left. The guy's mentally talking to you. All of a sudden, he turns around, and there's a bunch of corridors. And he's going back and forth, walking down these corridors, going, where was that thought? Thought, are you there? Where? Where? He's walking down that corridor, the blue one, the green one, the one that's got tropical signs all over it, and the one made of plastic. And he's going up and down those, going. Your mind is doing that. Yeah. 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 Errol's mind. Is Michigan. <laughs> I listened to one of our shows where you made uh, of Inside Out the Naked Truth today as I was working, and you made this uh, comment on it about, oh, we had this little thing about mind and which is how important it is relative to the heart. And there was a moment in the show where you thought I was saying I was devaluing the mind. Mm-hmm. Rochelle is a anti-devalue mind suffragette. <laughs> right? I think the mind is one of the most wonderful things God has given us. And that's why it's so important what we teach our children. Because 
so amazing isn't it at times teach your children and that was my god down that corridor again but <laughs> i'll get to it but wait a minute i went down the corridor that was in arthur's time and i found the place i choked Remember okay. That? okay okay and i was uh, there was a battle scene mm-hmm. in in a that was choreographed mm-hmm. on stage mm-hmm in Miami, Coconut Grove, Florida. Figured. And no, no, it was in Greenville, North Carolina. That's where it happened. And I was doing, and I was sword fighting the guy who was playing whatever. And I felt myself choke and his blade came down on the top of my knuckles. And this was like a real metal. It wasn't like one of those flappy things because it had to look real. (laughs) So it was like metal. It wasn't sharp, but it was heavy. Ooh. And, and I started bleeding. Ooh. And the next scene, I was uh, Arthur was King Arthur was getting ready for battle, and my job in that scene was to be putting his armor on. And so there I am putting Arthur's armor on and bleeding all <laughs> over it. I thought, this is theater. Oh, God. This is why we do theater. We love theater. Oh, that is scary. <laughs> Well, what was the one that you choked before you went down the corridor to well, find that, out the well, last well, one that you choked? Well, that was the one that I choked. Oh, so what was the thing that you just no. left that you were trying to remember? No, no, that was it. What I just told you about the choking in, in the Camelot thing. That was an example of me choking. I got that. But uh-huh. prior to finding that, which you were looking for a while ago, you were saying something else, which now you can't remember. And welcome to the part of the show where we take you back. Oh, it was the person who sang the song, Teach You Children. Into well. the past. <laughs> where were you then? Do you, find, do you only realize how many times people, you tell them something that happened to you, maybe 20 years ago, and they have a solution for what should have happened. And I always look at people when they do that and think. It's a cultural thing. A lot of people. How can you do that? You can't change the past. And it happened 20 years ago. What what lesson is that? And then they argue with you, though. Right? You know, they are happened. so determined to change the past. Uh, I think there's a certain ethnic group that is. No, I don't think so. I think everybody has has a bit of that in them. <laughs> really? Yeah, because they want to. They want to. It's like a controlling thing. They're going to control your past. <laughs> you know, part so who of who was the person who's saying teach you? I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Don't. I'll get okay. there. Well, yeah. I can be a little bit of a nag, you know. You a like little that bit of a nag? Oh, we're reducing the <laughs> nag level significantly tonight. No, you don't understand. Oh, I'll come down and be a little bit Let of a nag. Let me explain something to you, our audience, which Errol doesn't seem to get. I ask him to do something, and he goes, okay. And then he doesn't do it. And then I nicely ask him again to add to something, and he doesn't do it. By the third or fourth time, it sounds to him like I'm nagging, but I'm just trying to get what I said recognized and even accomplished. Okay, so here's the deal. (laughs) There's a lesson in this. At what point is it crossover between just trying to get something accomplished and then it moves mysteriously into the nag syndrome? It only becomes a nag because he doesn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm so appreciative of how I see the scene so differently. Okay, you can have a turn. You can do how you see the scene. Okay. I see the scene is that there are so many things, but they don't get noticed, that I do right away. And I'm very responsive to Rochelle. And, well, I don't want to do this because it sounds like I'm tooting my horn. Barney, would you, do you mind tooting my horn a little bit? <laughs> oh, no, I, uh, I'm happy to toot your horn, Arrow. You know, as long as it ain't the musical fruit. Remember, the more you eat, the more you toot. But that's not that kind of toot you're talking about here oh, right Barney. now. Yeah, I want to toot Errol's horn here because he is in a very awkward situation. He has the kind of job where the only time people notice him doing his job is when he when he doesn't do it well, when he messes up. And so uh, it puts him in a situation where that's the only time he gets noticed is when he when he, when he, when he doesn't do it right or doesn't do it in time or doesn't do it to the degree or meeting the satisfactory criteria that has been established for him to be able to do that so there will not be any more nagging. I understand that, Errol. trying to see what the lesson is in that. <laughs> I'll tell you what the lesson is. The lesson is nagging is a thing of the past. Yeah, I could say that. This is really totally true. Oh, cool. Yes, absolutely. Nagging is the thing of the past right now. There's no nagging. There's going. no nagging. <laughs> a little insanity, maybe, but no nagging. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. I want to call our attention to, speaking of a lesson, a lot of my meditations have been on this whole idea of coming from the heart and not being under the control of the mind. Uh, as the master letting the heart and take over the heart and then I thought to myself hmm what is the heart what is that deep heart he's talking about huh I'm your heart I live inside of your chest I'm about the size of your fist and I never take a rest I'm your heart you couldn't live without me I pump the blood that fuels your body So take care of me please The human heart is made up of four major chambers in me The right atrium and right ventricle are the first two you see They receive blood that's low in oxygen from your whole body And sends it to your lungs through your pulmonary artery The lungs fill blood with oxygen that your left atrium receives and flows through the left ventricle to the aortic arteries i'm your heart i live inside of your chest i'm about the size of your fist and i never take a rest i'm your heart you couldn't live without me i pump the blood that fuels your body so take care of me please i can be more than 100,000 times in one day Pumping about 2,000 gallons of blood through your body There is about 60,000 miles of vessels In your circulatory system I always keep them full I have four valves that open and close That control the blood through me The tricuspid pulmonic mitral and aortic valves you see I'm your heart, I live inside of your chest, I'm about the size of your fist and I never take a rest. I'm your heart, you couldn't live without me, I pump the blood that fuels your body so take care of me please. Your heart. That's a, that's a, a, a physical heart. Right, but then I got in the physical heart, the way it works, mm -hmm. the why it's such a profound um, articulator of that state of uh, integrated bliss that we've been offered. Mm -hmm. And in other words, what makes it the central thing? What is the heart? It's a vehicle that facilitates the most profound exchange. At its whole purpose is it, it's constantly exchanging 
good stuff and sending out bad stuff. It sends it out through the lungs and all that. It, but it's an exchange oxygen for whatever comes out of that. And so if you look at the phenomenon of the most fundamental thing here, which is the deepest level at which exchange is happening, and of course it's happening at every conceivable level all the time, we begin to appreciate that objective morality guide, and I'm going back to the book W.T. Stace on religion and the modern mind, where we, we lost any kind of objective moral guidance when we threw out the old medieval God. But here I want to suggest that the principle itself, the exchange, is God. God is the exchange. And so if we worship the exchange, in other words, do everything we possibly can to make every exchange as rich and full of life and beauty and satisfaction and interest as possible. Wow, that's heaven on earth. There's a lesson in that. Well, yeah, one you don't even have to think about. It's happening all the time. I mean, I guess I think that, you know, our, our physiognomy, physiognomy <laughs> is composed of all these things. And they all work together. They all work in harmony. Um, more than that, they work for the greater good, which is the whole being. So each part of the being, the heart, the mind, etc., etc. I mean, I don't think one is more important than the other because they're, they're aiding and abetting each other all the time. I mean, the mind is telling the heart what to do in many ways. You know, and what is it when, they, when, when you are pronounced dead? Not because your heart stops beating, because your brain dead. Yeah. I had some people say that to me on several occasions, <laughs> and I couldn't quite understand what they were referring to, but I... They said I, you were brain dead? They said I was brain dead, so you know what I did? I took it to heart. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> There's a lesson in that. And we are inside out, taking it to heart, ever on the quest to what is the most real aspect of life and how would you know it's real and what do you mean by real? That's okay. the question I'm asking. It's actually three questions. <laughs> I guess if I if I go back to the phrase of the week, you know, what is the lesson in that? By asking the question, you obviously will find a lesson in that or find some goodies in that to use to grow something that you, within you that you're asking that about. Yeah, this is a, there's a lesson in that. Yeah, this is Professor Schnitzel. And how do you know what's real and under the exchange? Anytime you're looking for real, what are your criteria? And the first thing you need to do is be able to say the word criteria and be able to have the rasping sound in the back of your throat. But it's not required, but it's helpful to be able to come up with the criteria. <laughs> On the criteria, that's what we're looking when we're saying, what is God? We are asking, what is the criteria by which everything is oriented? Is there a central criteria that everything is oriented to around, to focus and move towards and with? Yeah. And so what you're suggesting, yeah, this is good. The criteria is exchange. Oh, I feel exchange bliss firing itself into my conscious awareness as we talk exchange, because I'm having an exchange with you and the people who are watching this and listening to this, and we are all exchanging, and it's only through and as the exchange. Yeah, this is a true that, that the existence is. Yeah. Another word for exchange could be respirate, in the sense that you breathe in, you breathe out, you know, you, that's an exchange, your exchange of air, and everything respirates. Everything Everything respirates. So all the beginnings and endings, they're all that's a respiration. Um, and I think that to be... See, when my mind grabs, grasps that awareness that I respirate, that I breathe in, I breathe out, that I take what I need and I let go of what I don't need, it's constantly happening all the time. When my mind grasps that, my body follows through. Sometimes my body gets it and sends that awareness to my mind, and my mind goes, aha. <laughs> my mind goes, aha. And when it does, uh, 
I move to the next level or I move to the next place or I go somewhere else and Good start evening. it all over again. There's a lesson in that, Rochelle. Good evening. This is Senator Beauregard. And the lesson that comes to mind is that uh, the exchange is what justice is all about. I mean, that's why justice is the first step on a culture's movement toward what will eventually be full-blown, full-mounted love, with the soul being part of it, too. But justice is what we need to go for. That needs to be the, f- the first order of the day in our culture. What is justice? And I want to suggest here, based upon what I learned from you tonight, I hadn't quite put this together, but justice is about making that exchange fair. That's the simplest way to put it. There's making it a that. fair exchange. And that's the job of justice is to manage the exchanges and make them as fair as they can because they don't come in fair. You notice that life life doesn't offer fair. We have to make for fair to happen. And that's what the job of justice and the government and all the citizens. And right now, justice is being threatened in this here land. There's a lesson in that. Thank you, Senator. Yeah. What is the lesson, though? The lesson? The lesson is we have forgotten to make it a priority, and we need to kick it back up the ladder of our priorities, and that needs to be made clear to folks because they're not thinking along those terms. They're thinking of pretty much self-survival, whatever that means to them. You know, it's very possible that one can become complacent. When it looks like everything is moving along and everything's going good, and look, oh, look at what's happening, and there's all oh, more people are being recognized who weren't recognized before, and there's more diversity in television, and there's more diversity here, and there's more. We forget that uh, bigotry and racism are still alive, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we became aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like because we could forget, it was easy to forget because it wasn't popping up all the time, and. All of a sudden it popped up and we can go, wow, just seeing it makes you realize you can't be complacent anymore. It will take over if you are. You have to become more aware. You have to stand up. And you have heard, to be vigilant. Vigilant is the perfect word. And I, the lesson in all these things that are going on with hate that's spewing out of people and, and culminating in deaths and and mutilation and whatever is to say wake up wake up people you've been quiet you know now it's time to not oppose and resist but to put out what is really great and wonderful put it out in your relationships with each other put it out wherever you have an opportunity wherever you see a person that may need a reminder love them and they will feel that love and they'll pass it on that's all I have to say. Yeah, we like to offer a guarantee with that. It comes with a guarantee. The warranty is about 1095 extra, but you get uh, it's a lifetime warranty as long as you're alive. We will guarantee that I'm if you... I'm so glad a lifetime warranty ends when you're dead. <laughs> that's right. And uh, we tried to get it extended, but that would have required an amendment, which we were not prepared to get behind. <laughs> Well, thank you, Senator. We know that you love amendments, and boy, they're revisiting that amendment right now. I think it's the 25th or 26th where you can get rid of the president. There's an, there was an amendment, you know, if he's really, like, not doing his job. And it's so interesting, all the hype and the focus and the, the whole media right now is just alive with this guy. He's like the best media phenomenon since, I don't know, popcorn. <laughs> popcorn. <laughs> and it's just getting all this attention. Oh. And I tune into a little, when I'm uh, cleaning out the lounge and the bathrooms, that's my time to tune in to see what's going on out there and in all of that. <laughs> you, have you been tracking that, uh, Father O'Malley? Oh, sure, and it is. I watch these folks out there making all kinds of racket and rumpets about all this stuff that's going on. It's like it's, fr- but it's like bad tasting froth. That's all it is. It's like smelly, bad tasting froth. It just keeps frothing up, but it exudes these uh, bad tasting humors. Remember, they used to have humors. It was like before they got humorified and humidified, and they 
they all had to go through a process of to become humorified. You don't just jump oh, to... Oh, Father O'Malley, I think the lesson is you've been spending too much time with Errol. <laughs> oh, no. That's impossible to do, darling. That's like saying to someone, that you're too thin. No, to spend too much time with Errol? Oh, no, there's no such a thing. <laughs> it's, it's about as close to an absolute as, as that you're likely to get tonight. <laughs> well, thank I'm not, is, that a, is that a compliment or was that a, I don't know what it was. Oh, it's always a compliment to be close to you, darling. Oh, okay. All right. We're, and what's the lesson in that? <laughs> we are back into that. But, you know, this whole thing about being innocent and learning but it's not just the phenomenon. It has, it has a certain quality in the spirit that's captured in this song. You'll recognize it. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time Harry Chapin. That was Harry Chapin. I didn't realize that was Harry Chapin. I thought that was Cat Stevens. Well, maybe he did a version of it, but this was Harry Chapin. Uh-huh. Oh. Cat Stevens do Cats in the Cradle. Did this. He? I didn't know that. Oh, you know the lessons I learn all day long is that I know so little. I'm constantly reminded that I know so little. And every now and then when I think I know something... I'm aware of something I don't know. So I'm constantly learning that I know so little. And it's not a bad thing. It makes me open up even more to learn more. 
Well, that's the whole thing about get, having beginner's mind, a state of innocence, which according to my teacher, uh, that's the state that we're, that's the entry point into this thing we call an expanded consciousness, the kingdom of heaven, the the all beingness forever moving within and permeating different aspects of itself over and over endlessly somersaulting throughout existence or something like that. There's a lesson in that. There's a definite lesson in that. If you somersault too much, you get dizzy, but no, no, that's not a lesson. I'm joking. But my, our granddaughter, I watched her play with some things where she she took the little caps off each of these things, put the cap down in one place, put the thing itself down in another place, and she lined them all up, and she lined the caps all up. And then when she was all finished lining them up, she put them all back together, and then she started over again, taking them off and lining them up with absolute concentration and absolute silence. She was so focused on this task, and it took a long time to do it. I just watched her in awe that this little innocent being was so focused. She was not distracted. Nothing distracted her. She was totally intent on this little project that she had put together. And and then after two times of doing it, she was done. That was it. <laughs> that was it. She didn't want to do it anymore. I've done that. Time to move on. <laughs> Would you say that's true, uh, Professor Umbridge? How about you? Uh, there's always a lesson in everything, and I'd like to emphasize that for people to appreciate the lesson, they just need to, what was that uh, little uh, motto, family motto you Stratos came up with? And sometimes you actually lived it, and, and that was always Show lovely. Up. Show up. Pay attention. Pay attention. Stay in touch. Stay in touch. I think it's rather simple and to the point. I, I believe that if people just showed up, of course, that raises the question of why wouldn't you show up and are you not showing up if you appear to be there? Or, and, but I've realized, and I'd pass on to you now, is that the showing up is to bring your full self forward rather than holding aspects of it back. That's really not showing up because those parts have decided not to show up and they're hiding in the background of you. Like you're there, but your mind is somewhere else. That's not showing up. Or you're there, or your body's somewhere else, for example. How is that uh, possible? Well, for example, you could be in the <laughs> middle of a conversation and, and have a bloody strong urge to fart. And you're, oh. you're wearing tuxedos and, and you're, at a, you're having <laughs> cocktails, a very sophisticated <laughs> gathering in which some of the most important sophisticated people are all around you and they're very close to you. And you're, you're, you, you don't want to pass gas here. You don't want to fart. And, and yet everything in you is focused on the fart <laughs> and withholding of the fart. But on the surface, you could be doing things like, oh, yes, in delight. Yeah, I saw absolutely Lord Robert Yes, and he was inside you going, yeah. <laughs> Which is trying not to fart. Or, as I once did, I was at this party and I was climbing these stairs and talking to these people as I was doing that and I hit the second step and farted. And I said, oh, I just farted. And they smiled and I smiled and I continued up the stairs. And it was a moment, you know. <laughs> what I learned was not to resist what happened. I embraced it totally by even, you know, Acknowledging it. <laughs> By the way, in answer to your question, Teach Your Children song from Australia was featured Tula, Roberto Luti, and the FPC band. Now, you see, you didn't know that. I actually didn't know it either. But that's the beauty. That's one of the great gifts of our time is instant information. Yes, we live in an information age. I mean, you can get information at the just by Googling it. <laughs> yep. Wikipedia, everything. Just go to your... And everybody walks around with, um, you know, a little 
phone. In fact, a friend uh, said the other day, which I thought was hysterically funny, she was finding out information on her iPhone. And she said, you know what's so amazing is I realize you can make telephone calls on this too. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what worries me? People's necks. They're like everybody else, and I'm imagining, you know, two or three generations from now, as evolution will take over, the, they'll come out this way and they'll stay this way, and because they're all set up to look at their iPhone and next one, and and it's like it's a step toward being on all fours. That's the next step down. Well, a man on the radio today on KQED Radio, uh, public radio, uh, national public radio, was talking about the ethics of the iPhone, ethics of uh, internet. And he was talking about how easily we're manipulated, our minds are manipulated into wanting more of this and more of this. And he talked about there's a particular uh, system called something chat, I can't remember, but I'm showing my age. But teenagers are really into it. And the they get points for the amount of... Um, interaction they have with a certain person, you know, like, let's say I chat with you like 26 times. So we get 26 points. And if I go away, some, but they get somebody else to talk to you in their name. So they keep their points going. I mean, so what's happened is like, we're becoming, uh, and you can sell that mind just about anything. That's the scary part. Which mind? The mind that has been now programmed to realize they have to do this every day from the minute they wake up in the morning. They have to start working with their their uh, phone. I mean, you know, everything that's um, taught to us, everything, every new invention has the downside and the upside. We, and, But once when we're in that place of um, making moral decisions, the things we use become moral. If we don't, if we're not, they're just extensions of us. So it's, it behooves us to get our own act together if we want the, the things we use to communicate in the world to be moral. They're not going to be moral if we're not. There's a lesson in that. I think so. Especially if you kind of lock on to the word behoove. Did I say behoove? I, I love that when you said behoove, because it's not a <laughs> word that you hear a lot. And when someone says behoove, it means you better, like, you know, step on up here and uh, really maybe see to doing that. Behoove you. And, and, <laughs> and, but what people don't notice is how closely related to behave. Behave and behoove? Be, it's behoove and behave. Behoove and behave. Otherwise known as behave. But it's oh. really. Oh. Yeah, so we have the behoove, behoove and the behave, and, and the, the behave. behave. Now think about that. Now there's a lesson in that. Definitely a lesson in that. <laughs> we are, in case you haven't noticed, inside out, the naked truth. I'm Errol Strider. And I'm Rochelle Alicia Strider, and in you case can, you haven't noticed. And you can contact us by sending me an email, estrider at gmail.com. <laughs> the only reason he says this is he likes to do that voice. <laughs> it's one of his many voices. <laughs> I, I do, and I have other voices too, and I may have them join us from time to time. Oh, and God, we also want to thank our sponsor. <laughs> a lesson in that too. What would be that lesson? Like we keep saying it, but what's the lesson? The lesson is that you enjoy making voices. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to argue with that. It's like, see, see. <laughs> when you get to something like that, when somebody says something about you that your forces say, it's hard to argue with that. I think we did a show on that. Hard to argue with that? Yeah, a few weeks ago. Were we arguing? No, that was the show. It was the subject <laughs> of the show. Don't argue with me. I'm sorry. There's a lesson in that. Rochelle's choking over her words. <laughs> And we try to give her words that would do, go down easily and even better come out easily because... Let's not talk about it coming out at this point. With the words? Yeah, don't them. Okay, let's talk about there's a lesson in that. So the lesson becomes more richer and more beneficial the further we have a criteria or what is the purpose. And that's why, to me, it's so important that we discover purpose 
and when people are talking about God or not to God, but it really is on a functional level, it's about your purpose or, like Hamlet used to say, remember, to purpose or to not to purpose. This is funny. I played Hamlet, and I did that part to purpose or not to purpose, and I was uh, I was very purposeful in my approach to the part, and it's because I did it on purpose. I mean, it was very purposeful. I mean, there was so much purpose in it that it was so full that I had to express it in that line to purpose or not to purpose. But clearly, I knew the answer, and there was a lesson in that. Thank you, know, you The Barney. thing is that we don't always know what the lesson is in something until many times later or many moments later. Because people talk about having gone through hardships. And in the middle of the hardship, there's pain and angst and prayer that it would end as quickly as possible or you would end as quickly as possible. And then it's over. And a few maybe months later or years later, you become aware that what you learned about yourself in that situation is that you are stronger than you thought you were, that you have grown more, more compassionate maybe, more aware. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, like you didn't set out going, this is what I want to learn in terms of purpose. But you have an experience, and because I think we're all programmed to move towards wholeness, then that's what happens. We become more whole, more inclusive. We bring more people in to embrace as a result of our experiences. So we become bigger and satisfy the urge for more, which is so dominant in our culture, more, 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 addiction, greed, uh, uh, self-defeating habits, trying to get more and more and more through some orifice in our bodies. Well, like Ella... That's our granddaughter, in case you, because you can't possibly do a program without talking to her about at least four or five times. Anyway, <laughs> our son was playing with her, you know, lifting her up and putting her on his shoulders and moving her down and then bringing her back. And, um, she finished one, one um, um, rotation of this and she called, again. And then he did it again. And then she said, again. And he did it again. And then he said, okay, one more time and that's it. And the most amazing thing is he did it. She came down and she looked at him and she got that she wasn't going to ask for it again. He was done. And I thought, wow, you know, that was really neat. He didn't have to get on her case or anything. She got it and she was finished. Here's a lesson in that. That's a very effective parent tool that we've invented for ourselves and which we sell. And you can get this effective parental tool of knowing how to set boundaries for your children. Tell me that isn't big on your Christmas list. Mm-hmm. How do I set boundaries for my children without wanting to kill them? Or it's okay to want maybe to kill, but not actually killing them. I mean, it would be a terrible thing. It's a metaphor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Except. It's not just a metaphor, and I think about that woman whose daughter died in Charleston. Oh, yeah. She was amazing, that mother. What what did you notice? She gave a talk. I noticed she was interviewed, but I didn't get a chance to hear it. Oh, she said, you know, you killed my daughter, but you have magnified her spirit or something to those words so much more as a result of it. And she read this thing that her daughter had written. She said, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And I thought that was a great, a great lesson. Mm. Isn't that something? Why? Yeah. So the lesson, it's there. It's, it wants to show up, but sometimes you have to really dig around for it, and sometimes it has to dig around you. See, that's probably and true. that's why we recommend the stopping. What? No, I thought you were going to make a joke about the shovel that we needed <laughs> You know, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, no, Let's no, no, make no, a no, joke no, about, no, 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 no. You know that wonderful sign they put on railroad tracks, stop, look, and listen? Yeah. I think those are the most three most important things to do all day long. Stop, look, and listen. You know, before you cross the street, before you encounter anything, really receive people. Before you walk across the tracks, the train may knock you over if you don't. That's an excellent lesson, Rochelle. But what else do we need to remember? Oh, we need to remember that resistance is what you add to pain to make it last longer and hurt more. 
There's a lesson in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs>